Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, welcome back. Bailey Hancock here. Today we have Melanie Bender on the show. Melanie and I have known each other for, gosh, I guess about four years now. Um, and we'll go into how we met and all of that. But Melanie is Vice President of Marketing and Brand Development at Click, which many of you probably know, whether you realize you know or not. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted Melanie on is because she's one of those, I think, rare breeds anymore who has seemed to have found her industry and her niche, at least for now, because everybody changes. And she's really doubled down in it, doubled down in it and has kind of gone from one interesting job to the next. Um, from the outside looking in at least. So I'm excited to have Melanie tell us about how she's made these career decisions um, in the last however many years that she's been working and what keeps her continuously finding professional fulfillment year after year. So Melanie, welcome to the party. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be talking with you here today. Yay. So Melanie actually met um, back when I was at General Assembly and you were what at Westfield? Yes. Yep. Running. What was your title back then? Uh, senior marketing director for Westfield Century City. Yeah, for Westfield and focus on the Century City property and development. And for those of you unfamiliar, Westfield is how many malls across the world? Um, about 35 uh, across focused in the US and UK. And they were recently acquired by a European mall holding company. So now they're part of a bigger family across the Europe, uh, Europe and the Americas. Interesting. So yeah, so we met in a partnership capacity back when I was running partnerships um, and marketing for General Assembly Los Angeles. And we did a really fun couple of like classes and workshops at the mall, um, which was pretty experimental. And I think it went well. I don't really remember at this point, but I was lucky because I got to meet Melanie and we've been friends ever since. And it's been awesome to see kind of her choose these new career paths, not even really paths, but career opportunities um, in the marketing and fashion spaces. So before we get too ahead of ourselves, I always like to ask, what did little Melanie want to be when she grew up? <laughs> so little Melanie grew up in Hawaii and wanted to be something in, in science and math and engineering. And that is what I studied in university. Oh. Uh, first aerospace engineering and then geology and geophysics and finally graduated in global environmental science. It's kind of the study of climate change. Well, I did so, not see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say, gosh, you, you have always had it so figured out, it's definitely not um, <laughs> how I look back at my life and, and certainly how it's felt at times. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think it's growing up now, you are so much more exposed to different potential careers and lifestyles and directions that you want to go. And I think that's such an incredible thing about this super connected age. Um, you know, part of growing up in Hawaii, you're a little bit more limited to what you're exposed to. Um, and there are certainly a lot of amazing things to study in those earth and, and science systems. And that's what first pulled me in. So you grew up wanting to do that. When on earth did, well, I don't want to get ahead of the story, but so you graduate from college. What was your degree? Uh, global environmental science. So I graduated from college, um, chose between two jobs. One was doing living off of a boat in the, the South Pacific and doing coral reef research, scuba diving for, you know, six hours a day. Um, and the other one, the one that I ended up choosing for more kind of lifestyle reasons was in environmental planning, working for one of the largest engineering and planning firms in the world. 
and uh, helping them prepare the environmental assessments that they needed to do to do any of their big projects like um, public transit, rail systems, highways, and that type of thing. And it was with that company that I started in Honolulu and was able to transfer to New York with my, my newly minted husband. <laughs> and it was in New York that all of a sudden my eyes were open to all these industries and careers and, um, and verticals that I just hadn't thought of or been exposed to. And I think I've always been very future focused. This is what I should achieve. This is what I should do. Um, and maybe didn't let myself be as open to these kind of less discovered areas that, um, you know, that I, I hadn't really popped up for me. Wow. And so, yeah, it sounds like you were so laser focused for, you know, growing up and in college and all of that. And then suddenly here you find yourself in New York and it's like the world is just exposed to you. That Was that exciting or overwhelming? Or it was a little bit of both. And I was incredibly fortunate to have a partner, um, my husband, who was in a good career. He's a, he was a software developer at the time, so good, stable. And that gave me a little bit more freedom, I think both mental and financial, to think about taking a risk. And it's funny, you know, at the time I was maybe a year and a half into a career in urban planning. And at that time it felt like, oh my gosh, I'm throwing away so much by starting over again. I can't possibly, can't possibly entertain that. Um, and it, it, it's funny because you're, if you're working, you're working for 30, 30 years. So I think it's very tempting to feel like you've invested so much that you can't possibly start fresh when in reality, you know, what really matters is that you're in something that aligns with your passions and your interests so that you can really, you know, commit to it in a bigger way. We can pretty much end the show now because that's, <laughs> that's a hundred percent, uh, a huge freaking takeaway. And uh, let me tell you, like in most people's stories, those moments come up when they're 22, maybe 23, and they realize that perhaps the thing they went to school for is not actually the thing that's going to be there forever. And everybody's faced with that moment of, is it too late? Have I yeah. spent too much time investing in this thing? And it's like, oh, you mean the four years of college and yeah. two years you've been working. So it's good that you had the foresight to think, well, all right, sure. Yes, I've invested X number of years so far, but I still have easily 30, 35 years ahead of me. Is this going to do it for me forever? Yeah. And I think once you accept that you might quote, take a step back and you give yourself that freedom, it really opens you up in a much bigger way. And I would say that even though what I've done feels really disconnected and far apart, at the same time, you know, now that I'm finally 10 years into my career, I can kind of see how everything came together, how working in the fields of science really taught me about the scientific method and hypotheses and, and testing, which all of a sudden marketing is so data-driven and wow. you're using that data to create and validate hypotheses. Um, when I was doing the urban planning, I was really focused on um, supporting different real estate projects. And you know, lo and behold, I ended up at Westfield, which is one of the, um, the largest holders of retail real estate. So mm -hmm. I think that really, I think what's worked for me um, has been following what I'm interested in, curious about, and seems like an opportunity to learn and grow. And I think that's the number one most important thing that you can look for. It's not how does this connect with how I see myself in 15 years, because the world's going to look really different in 15 years. That career yeah, that you're thinking luck. of, who knows if that's going to exist then. Yeah. So if you're just focused on 
you know, really developing things that you're interested in, moving into interesting groups of people, I think it'll serve you really well wherever you end up wanting to go. Absolutely. And to your point, like nothing is for nothing. You know, all of your past experience, although maybe not completely directly on paper, did it look like it translated? But in reality, the skills we acquire along the way are usually far more transferable than we realize. Yes. And the networks you make along the way yes. are forever, you know, if you play your cards right. And I think the thing you keep mentioning, which is following your curiosity, if we had to distill into one key point how to remain happy in your career year after year, it's that. It's paying attention to what excites you and what you're interested in and what you read about when you don't have to. And, you know, the things that you're curious about and then applying the things you're good at and your skill set and your experience in those areas, it will just continue to lead you down paths that you might not even have known existed or didn't exist at the time you went to school. Like you're saying, I mean, Lord knows what the landscape will look like in 15 years from now. So yeah, to be able to predict any farther out than three to five is a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree. And I think you said it exactly right. It's about that curiosity. It leads you deeper and deeper and deeper. And you see a lot of people that want to just work in fashion and that's their goal. They want to work in fashion. And I feel like if you have that kind of a mindset, if it's a competitive industry, it's going to be difficult to go far because you're, you're not really seeking, you're just signing yourself up. Mm. Uh, whereas, you know, I came in and I was always looking for, okay, what's the niche? What's the opportunity? Is it emerging brands? Is it social media? Is it working with, uh, with data, um, brick and mortar real estate, whatever it is. And I feel like that's how you really create success for yourself by being willing to kind of go into the cracks and see where, um, see where things are growing, see where you can experiment, see where you can apply these unique skills and learnings that you've amassed through your, your past lives and bring into these, um, these problems in these areas in a new way. Yeah. I think that's the coolest thing with career transitions, especially internally at a company. If you can take what you've learned and almost an outsider's perspective on this area that you're fascinated by, you as an individual are going to bring something completely different to the table and problem solve in a way that nobody else can because of your different experience and your different past and your different lives career-wise. It just, it lends itself well to problem solving internally. And I love companies that are willing to hire people who haven't done that specific role before, um, but rather they hire on potential and on, you know, you as a person and your abilities, because then, you know, you come in and people that have maybe been in the space for a long time, they kind of, they have, they don't have fresh eyes on the whole problem and things that could be made better, but an outsider coming in with different backgrounds are able to see problems in a whole new way and potentially solve them in a way that the people that have been looking at them for a long time couldn't have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what disruption requires. It requires coming in with a different point of view to solve the same problem that people have been solving in one way for decades and decades. And I think it's on the candidate, it's on each of us to frame our story and our skills in that way. Almost every company that you can think of is, knows that they need to evolve and wants to disrupt. Um, and in some ways, they, they might be scared or you know, have a certain idea in mind of what they feel like they need. And it's on you to be able to tell them, okay, this is how I bring a different perspective. This is why you should want that different perspective. Mm -hmm. I think it is, it can be harder as a candidate to move into those type of roles, but it just takes a lot of kind of thoughtfulness on your part to 
you know, how you want to frame that up to the, to the employer. And I think the other thing that's interesting is um, a lot of times companies might have this charge of thinking differently and, um, and disruption and transformation. Maybe it's from an executive level, maybe it's right. key people, um, but really it's, it's rare and hard to find companies that are cohesively working and thinking in that way. So I think it's not just getting your foot in the door, it's you know, really thinking about how you apply that again and again in a daily situation. Um, and that includes the reverse as well. I think to really be effective at solving problems in a new way, you have to understand how it's been solved in the past. And that's where you can learn so much from the quote, old school thinkers. Um, they can teach you about the challenges, about why they've done things a certain way. Those are all really important inputs because it's not just about doing it differently. If you just throw out a different solution because it's different, you're not going to be any better than the, the par for the course and you might be a lot worse. Um, so I think that's where really it's that blend of legacy and newness um, that together can help make those really great pivots for companies and, and people. You're totally right. I think when companies do it right, it's when they have people from the old guard or at least that were at the table when these original decisions were made and they allow new people to come in and they have a thoughtful discussion on why things ended up the way that they are and here's some new ideas. And, you know, that's all really great on paper. It's so hard to pull it off in reality because humans are also humans and there's ego involved and yeah. all of those things. But, um, yeah, it can absolutely be done. And I loved what you said about it's on the candidate to tell kind of explain the case, like make the case for why a company should give somebody a chance that perhaps hasn't done that kind of role before. Um, and guys, the whole thing is like any job that's really worth having, you're going to have to work for, you know, you don't just walk into these incredible life-changing roles. And if you do, you're very lucky and it's probably not going to happen more than once without doing a lot of legwork and really doing a lot of homework and, telling your story in a way that's unique for that company. And I know in the middle of the job process, that feels like the last thing you want to do. It feels a lot easier and more productive to just apply across the board with a blanket resume and cover letter. But in reality, you know, if you're really looking to make a change and, and to try something new in your life, chances are you've got a lot of legwork to do, but it's yeah. usually worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other part that's really important is listening, that you might start with a story, um, whether you're a candidate in a job or you're working already in a job, um, and you're gonna come up against challenges. You're gonna not be making progress. There's gonna be people that are close to the idea. To me, that's a, an exclamation point that says, listen, there's something that these people are trying to teach you. I think it can be really tempting to charge forward with what you think is right or what you think is, is new and different, but really you need to take people with you. Mm -hmm. um, and I, that requires listening as much, if not more so than you speak and really paying attention to what these people are trying to teach me. I know that at Westfield, I, I was the digital new thinker and I came up against people had, who had worked in property management and leasing for that same center in, you know, for 20 or 30 years. So obviously they have a, a very kind of structured way of doing things and um, understandably were a little bit ruffled anytime I would want to do something different or big or um, come up with a, a, a new idea. And at first that really frustrated me. I thought, gosh, these people, they're so 
they're still stuck in their ways. They can't possibly understand this is right. Um, but when I push myself to step back and think, okay, why is this person acting in this way? It always came back to they're trying to teach me something that they had tried something somewhat similar in the past and it had resulted badly that there's some potential risk or cost that I'm not thinking of that they feel is really important. So I think that's also, you know, a really great thing to think about to use it as a feedback cycle. It's not just you're sitting there with the microphone, but really use the inputs that are given back to you to keep refining and honing and improving what you're doing. Yeah. I think this is definitely a, a 20 something year old problem in career. Um, I was absolutely one of those people that was like busting down doors being like, okay guys, I'm here. I've got all these ideas. And my first job out of undergrad was for a 90 plus year old organization. I was the youngest person by a lot. Um, I mean, there were a few other people that were like a year or two older than me, but in terms of the people I was working directly with, I was the youngest person by 10 or more years. And looking back, I would have been so annoyed by myself if I were them, my God, because I was so eager and I was so energetic and I was so gung-ho. And that's not to say my ideas weren't good. They were, and, you know, and a lot of them were implemented long after I left. Um, but I think my way of approaching the people that had been there, and literally people had worked at that company for 30 years, um, I think I, I could have come in a little softer, done a lot more listening mm -hmm. before talking. And really, I think I missed out on a lot of opportunities to learn from people that had been doing it for so much longer because I was just so excited to get in there and change the world. Um, so I think the thing that I come back to now is when I'm approaching an organization or a group of people that are perhaps older than me or have been doing what I'm doing for longer, I think if I were in their position, how would I want to be spoken to by a newbie, you know, by somebody younger? And I think this whole millennial mindset of, of wanting to achieve everything right now or yesterday is great for so many things, but can also be a hindrance. Um, because think about it, when we're in our 50s and our 60s and we're nearing retirement, how the hell are we going to feel if a bunch of 20 something year olds come in and like <laughs> bust down doors for us? We're going to be annoyed as hell. So I always try and keep that perspective now. Um, but you know, I'm also the, the ripe old age of 33. So I have so much insight. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, I, think, really I think that's true. And I think those people, they, they want to, they want to come on the journey with you and show them how to do that. Show them how they can help you and show them that you're willing and you want their advice. And in my experience, that has turned 90, 90% of <laughs> the people to, to be listened to and have your expertise be valued is such an incredible and validating feeling. And like you said, nothing from the other party's perspective, they've been working here for 30 years and they probably feel threatened. There's yeah. Technology has been changing so much to see these digitally native uh, workforces come up. I'm sure it, it causes them to question what that means for them. So by linking arms with them and showing them how they provide value in that new world, I think that's how you get them really excited and committed to, uh, committed to supporting whatever it is that you want to do. Right. Having a collaborative mindset and an empathetic mindset, mm. I think is the right approach to take when working with any, anybody really, but especially people of different generations. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, millennials get hated on a lot, 
but there's, there's a lot of hesitancy, I think, by Gen Xers even, and definitely baby boomers to be like, well, who the hell are these kids and where are they coming from? So yeah. it behooves everybody if you come in from a collaborative approach and you think through like, how can we all achieve what we're trying to do here? And remember that everybody's coming at it from a place of how is this going to affect me first? And you're totally right. There's a lot of fear that they're going to be outdated or they're being pushed out or they're no longer relevant especially in technology sectors and I'm sure fashion, you know, there's a lot of, I've got to guess old guard, new guard kind of ways of thinking. So, so how did, how did this happen? So you moved to New York. What mm -hmm. happened next? You're exposed to the world. Yeah. I moved to New York. I think I took about, I, I realized that I was deeply unhappy <laughs> in what I was doing to my, you know, utter and total dismay. I'd always been someone who wanted to have things figured out who wanted to be very independent and show the world, show my family, show my school that I knew what was right for me. Um, and here I was having to admit that the choice I made is not right. <laughs> no good. Um, so I think I took maybe every career and personality assessment test I could find. And based on that, it helped me hone in on marketing and communications mm -hmm. as a way to really balance my, my left brain and right brain. Um, and with that, I went around looking for first internships in PR in New York to help me kind of dip my toes. I was a little gun shy um, to jump because I was making pretty good money or what felt like good money <laughs> at the time. And you're how old um, at this point? Um, I would have been 23. Okay. Yeah. That's about that age. 22, 23 is usually when this exact thing happens. Yeah. It's becoming, yeah. It's becoming painfully apparent. The more people I talk to for the podcast, it's like everybody has that, oh God, I've made the wrong decision. What am I going to do with my life moment? Myself included. That's so interesting. And I wish that I had felt more of that community Me too. at the time because like it was with my husband and we moved cross country together. So it was really just us two. And he was someone who knew he wanted to be a software developer from when he was 16. <laughs> so you're like, I'm the one that's messed yes, up. Yes, yes. And I just wanted to find that, that special place for me. Um, but anyway, so it started looking for PR internships. And um, I was directed to a company and they were doing a lot in architecture and design. And here I was coming from urban planning. So it felt somewhat relevant, which made me feel better. And they had me complete a test assignment of doing like a press release and coming up with a marketing campaign. Um, and they came back to me and said, well, Melanie, we really loved your assignment. We're not going to offer you an internship, but we'll offer you a full-time job. Oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah, it, it is better. Although that was then my leap moment and it was taking a pay cut. So I, I had kind of been able to parallel path. I think I had done my internships. I had done one internship part-time so I could keep working and, you know, keep both, both irons in the fire. So this was my moment that I really had to jump. Um, but it was clearly the right thing to do. And like I said, I was really, um, really blessed to have some stability um, at the home front that enabled me to do that. And, you know, I don't think I, I ever looked back. So I, I got to that company, um, was doing PR and communications for, like I said, architecture, um, which meant a lot of building products for things like ceiling tiles. Ooh, sexy. And, yeah, yeah, industrial <laughs> carpets and textiles. Um, but then I, it, was, it was in that company that I said, hey, you know, we've got this client file of architecture and design. The Getty was a client. And um, I said, I want to do fashion. I'm going to pitch the company on launching a fashion practice. 
And I went to the CEO. I said, you should launch a fashion practice. And he said, okay, show us how we'll do that. So I said, okay. And I went back and I came up with a little business plan of how to do that. And by, you know, launching a contest and giving away a PR contract to emerging designers. And that would get our name out there in the press. It would get a, you know, a roster of um, emerging designers interested in us. And ultimately we'd have a case study that I could then show to other clients. And to my amazement, it was supported. And I think timing was quite helpful. This was at the time I was pitching it, it was around 2008. So just before the great recession. Okay. I was going to say, cause this is also <laughs> part of all of our stories who are yeah. roughly same age bracket. Yeah. There's, there's the 22, 23 year old like fall. And then there's whatever happened to you in your career in 2008, 2009. Yeah, it's so true. It's so true. So I got the green light on that. And then a few months later, you know, the shit hit the fan um, in the economy around us. And, you know, luckily I had been just always so committed to contributing and doing what I needed to do. So I was someone who, despite being really junior, was valued within the company. So while the, when they made cutbacks, I was something that they kept. And while some clients went away, I, that freed up more time for me to work on this project. So I just kind of whole hog committed to it and probably didn't worry or think too much about the, the long-term, um, the long-term factors, but that was what helped us get it off the ground, um, and kind of followed that plan. Um, and with those, we awarded ultimately two designers and with those case studies, I was able to build a fashion practice off of it. And after maybe a year of building up that fashion practice of doing the new business, getting the clients in, then I would do the client strategy. Then I would do the client management. I was like a one person show within this oh agency. Gosh, um, though. Yeah, it really, um, after about a year doing that, the owners of the agency said, you know, Melanie, we really like what you're doing. We want to make you a partner in the company. Um, so that gave me this partner, partner track position and they just kept setting goals. Okay. You need to get to this amount of business and then you need to get to this amount of business. And I just kept, you know, hitting it. <laughs> and that gave me a huge amount of, um, freedom to take on the clients I wanted to do to find the white spaces and show them how we were going to go out through the white spaces. Um, I ultimately managed my own PNL, my own staff. So it taught me about business management. Um, and was just a, such an awesome way to grow. And it's really how I learned marketing. Um, I took the company from PR and then we went into social media. saw what was happening with Twitter and Facebook. Um, then we went into a lot of digital experiences. So really, you know, as I kind of looked back, it was helping these legacy brands market to millennials, mm -hmm. um, ended up working with Sephora and makeup forever, which are both LVMH brands worked with a few of the Lee and Fung brands which is a really large fashion holding company. And really all that came from just pounding down doors, cold calling and cold calling until I could get someone to let me in the room and, you know, just really pitching them on what I thought and what I could do for them and then try to pull it off. <laughs> I mean, that's a hell of a first gig in a new space for you. Yeah. Completely, completely wild. And I think what it has instilled most in me is the importance of feeling invested in and excited in your work. Having gone from, you know, urban planning where just it bored me to tears to a job that I felt reflected my interests that I felt good at, that I felt like I could 
kind of carve out this unique niche for myself. And that someone gave me the chance to do that. Someone said, yes, Melanie, we like your idea. We're going to give you 20% of your time to spend on this. It's made me want to find that for everyone who has ever worked for me. I tell them, tell me what it is you're interested in. Tell me what you want to do. Tell me where you want to go. And we will find a way to build that into your job now. It doesn't matter if you want to go from fashion marketing to financial planning. I'll work with you to figure out that bridge. You just got to tell me what it is. That's incredible. And so, so lucky for your employees because you're right. I think having managers or having superiors that gave you that runway to explore that, especially in the phase of your career where you were just getting and kind of learning the ropes and getting your feet wet for you to be able to even have the balls too to be like, I think we should get into fashion. What made you choose fashion? You know, I've always been, I think, a style-driven person. You're very fashionable. But you know, if if you would look back at my Hawaii childhood pictures, you would definitely say that I have a unique sense of style. (laughs) I don't know that it was stylish. So I think there's such a great show of emotion in fashion. You're expressing who you are and how you want to be seen and you know, how you look at yourself. And that's something that has just given me so much joy to work in. I think maybe, you know, it's always interesting to think about why, but I think, you know, maybe I didn't always feel like I had a way to express that. Mm. So being able to tap into that and it being such an emotionally driven industry makes it so much more fun to play. And you're not talking about the product specs of a ceiling tile. You're talking about this new collection that's inspired by something and it's meant to make a woman feel a certain way. And that's just so fun to work in. Yeah, that's very fair. I feel like maybe your bar for excitement was a little low with the ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. But you know, I think it's, it's also up to you to, to kind of help create that and find that. And Absolutely. Yeah. Like with Westfield, sure. There's a lot of parts of that that weren't really exciting. I did wayfinding plans and (laughs) that kind of thing. But then I also had ideas that seemed interesting and cool, like bringing general assembly classes into the open shopping center and kind of creating this social education moment together. Um, So I think, you know, it's really, yeah, there's going to be the, maybe the 80% of work that's kind of cut and dry. And it's what you do with that 20%. That's really the difference between loving your job and, and not. And I will say, despite me asking so many of my team members, what it is that they want to do, I'm always amazed at how many don't come forward and don't take me up on that. And I think that is, you know, a lesson that I'd love to put out there that there's people that want to help you mm-hmm. and are there just waiting to be asked and you need to ask. Um, so I, I think, you know, it, it takes courage and it's a risk to put yourself out there and admit that you need something, but that is how you have these leap moments. It's so difficult to do it by yourself. Lean on the people who are invested in you, who have seen what you can do and want to help you and be unafraid to share what you want to do. I mean, it's a two-part game. You know, I always say professional development's not an individual sport. It's a team sport. And if you are lucky enough, if you're one of the few who have a good manager who is interested and willing in having a transparent conversation about where you would like to be eventually, 
5%, take them up on that because that's rare. I mean, my goal in life is to make that less rare um, and have that be a common practice in every company, you know, have managers that are invested in their employees' professional development and, and career paths, whether it's at that company or not. I mean, the nature of reality is nobody stays at one company forever mm -hmm. anymore. So if you acknowledge and embrace that, yeah. say, you know what, while you're here, while we have each other, let's make this time valuable for both of us. You know, if you are interested in getting in finance, let's give you some side internal side gigs, you know, like some internal side projects that you can really develop that so that when it's time for you to move on, you're not going to have to act like you've done it when you haven't, you'll have real world experience. So that's amazing that you do that. And that's, that's very fortunate. And if you are one of those employees that's listening that thinks their manager would be willing to have that conversation. You can't have it if you don't approach it. Yeah. Just ask. Don't be so scared. People are so afraid that their manager is going to think, oh, well, you're not invested. I'm going to fire you then. It's almost never going to happen. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, as a manager, I know that also if, if a team member came to me and said, I think this other opportunity in their company is the right one for me. If that was a team member that had really shown me what they could do and that I believed in, I would fully support them in even making that leap. So I think it's all about the relationships that you establish and really getting the people to believe in you. Um, and those, those relationships run in circles. They come back. There's a way that you, you grow together. So really, like you said, be, be unafraid, know what you want, um, share what you want. And I think that openness, that openness with your vulnerability is part of what really creates those deep connections that make people committed to you. Forever. And they'll be on your career, you know, professional development path team for the end of time. Yeah. The people in my life who I've worked with, who I've mentored, who have mentored me, who have helped me get my foot in the door at a company, I don't let those people go. Ever. I mean, mm -hmm. even look at the two of us, you know, we've both had a couple jobs since the original time that we met in the last four years. And, and if you leave relationships on the table and you don't allow one another to support each other, then you're really missing out on kind of the beauty of having a community of people in your network. That's why they're there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's a huge part. Well, I'm glad that you offer that to your employees and, and that you've gotten that in return or even before you were able to offer that, because that's another thing we often forget is, you know, as people help you throughout your life, don't forget to turn around and look behind you and see yeah. and support as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how did you end up going from New York to LA? When did that happen? Yeah. So that happened when I was running my agency. Um, I lasted in New York for about two years and being from Hawaii, <laughs> that was my, my cap. Um, <laughs> so together we decided that we wanted to move to LA um, for a mix of kind of lifestyle and professional opportunities. And, you know, at the time my partner said, all right, if you build up business in LA, we'll fully support that. So I kind of went on my own, um, but after, you know, a month or two on the ground, got back to pounding the pavement and building up my business essentially from, from scratch again um, in LA. And it started working out of my living room mm -hmm. and then got a little bit together enough to fund a shared workspace and from there an office and employees. So, you know, it was very much a a gradual climb. Um, and 
I feel like that's, you have to be open to that. If you're starting something out, if you're, um, you need to build something for yourself, it's not going to start out really, really glamorous. And, and I was okay with that. I was just so proud and pleased with what I was able to do. And so focused on that next goal that it seems like, honestly, the wheel just kind of kept turning for me. Amazing. So you, it sounds like you were essentially kind of living an entrepreneurial life while still being part of an organization, but having a ton of autonomy to create something that was very much your own in a whole new space. Yeah. I was given basically complete freedom, which I think was a blessing and a curse <laughs> given, you know, how early I was in my career. I was going to say, what are we at? 25, 26 at this point? Yeah. Yep. Um, so young. It was, it was so young and I certainly made my mistakes mm -hmm. by, you know, being able to pitch a business that wasn't in our sweet spot, you know, just, just because you win the business, you, gotta, <laughs> you need to do a, a, a really awesome job on it. So there were a huge amount of learnings, not just in growing and managing the business, but in the, the marketing fields and learning how to approach different, different types of programs, different types of sectors and clients. And I think what made it so fun and interesting for me is I could have one foot in beauty and one foot in fashion and one foot in prestige and one foot in, in mass and do events and PR and mini sites and Facebook programs and just really learn in kind of rapid succession. Um, I mean, essentially using, using clients as, um, as those test grounds for, for better or for worse. Um, but it, it made it such a stimulating and exciting environment. But at the same time, you know, I didn't have anyone to look to mm. when I wasn't sure about something or when I needed guidance or, you know, even when I, I needed support, I was kind of out there on my own, both geographically with all my partners being in, um, in New York, but also in, in my field. So I think at times that made it very stressful and difficult to need to solve such huge problems um, without having really a great support network of people who had done what I was trying to do. Right. And so that's got to feel very lonely. And I can imagine if I were in your position, I'd feel like I had to do a lot of faking it till I made it because you don't want to like imposter syndrome stays with you no matter how old you are. But when you're under 30, you kind of are an imposter still at that point. Yeah. Very much trying to figure it out as you go. So did that kind of lead to you making your next move then? Yeah. I mean, it, it did. Um, we, I kept building up my business and, you know, it, it, it came to the point that my business was kind of the largest chunk of the company. And at that point, the partners, my partners in the company, came to me and asked me to take over as CEO because they were a little bit older and wanted to step back and, um, you know, really liked what I was doing. And it was at that time that I really had to ask myself, right, is this what I, what I want to do and, you know, make this my life? Uh, and the answer I came back with was no, that is my job became more about managing an agency. I wasn't working as much on clients. I wasn't able to learn um, and expand my knowledge as much. Uh, and it, yeah, maybe, maybe it was a lot of faking, you know, faking it till I was making it in terms of being the, the agency lead. And that just wasn't where I wanted to be. 
So I told him that. I said, you know, no, I I don't want to do that. And I'm going to step away. And that also was an incredible learning experience. Um, Very emotional. And I had an idea in my head of how it was going to happen. And I think I didn't anticipate, you know, all the, the needs and emotions of essentially unraveling my part of a business. So that led to, you know, a very difficult point in my life of figuring out how do I step away? um, How, you know, who can take over for me? What do I need to do to incentivize them? What should I get as I, as I step away? Um, And, you know, I, 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 it felt all encompassing at the time, which from my experience is what running your own business feels like. (laughs) And, um, Yep. And it was, you know, after that, that I think I probably decided, okay, I don't, I don't think I want to run my own business anymore. <laughs> but again, such great learnings and, you know, learnings outside of professional skill sets, learning about management and, you know, psychology of employees and partners and all these different kind of soft skills that you really need to be successful in a collaborative environment, no matter where you are. Yeah. I feel like you got the best MBA that you didn't have to pay for (laughs) in a matter of, I mean, how many years was that? A total of three to four? It was a total of about five years. Okay, And sometime in there, I I had my daughter, which came unexpectedly. Um, But again, you know, working for myself, it was, I had flexibility. I think I put a lot of pressure on myself. I think I went back to work after four weeks and oh my gosh. I remember pumping my my breast milk in the mailroom and UPS knocking on the doors. <laughs> but you know, that was that was the life. That was, you know, I, I had I had to, to I guess hustle in that sense and stay stay deep into what I was doing. And um, so yeah, that was about four to five years, but gosh, it, it felt like so much more. <laughs> yeah. We always joke that entrepreneur years are like dog years. Yeah. Somebody asked, Oh, how long have you been working for yourself? And I'm like, God, I don't know, 15 years. Oh, a year <laughs> and a half. I'm sorry. I it's take it true, back. Though. It's true. And that's, I mean, that's, that's incredible to be able to really accelerate how you understand an industry opportunity, how you understand yourself. Um, so it's definitely something that I was really grateful to. I would say there were a lot of ups and downs. It was very emotional at times. Um, and like I said, I, I chose not to do it again, but I'm very, very grateful for the experiences that I did have. Well, and again, nothing's for nothing, right? Like those experiences will forever have changed who you are as an employee, as a manager, as one day, who the hell knows, another business owner, you just, you don't know. And I always say that, like, I'm an entrepreneur. I think you either are or you aren't. Currently, I'm, I'm expressing that. I'm running my own businesses. But I have no doubt that at some point, I'll probably go back to work for a company. And I think people that, that see both sides of it are just better off because, again, it's the empathy thing. It allows you yeah. to understand that it is hard work running your own business. And it's hard being an employee when you feel like, your, your day-to-day is serving somebody else's dream potentially. Right. And so when you're able to see both sides of that, I think it just makes you better able to bring whatever it is that you've got in your professional bag of tricks to the table and support a team as a whole. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I think I decided not to be in 
entrepreneur again for the time being at least, but what I really became as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. All that really, you know, kind of startup thinking and hyper growth mentality and applied it within companies. And that's really, I think what I've looked for since leaving that, um, that there are so many companies that want to move into new spaces that want to, you know, evolve and, and change and they need these kinds of passionate people that can come in and see that opportunity and just be like a dog with a bone building it. And that's what I've you know, really enjoyed doing for the last six or so years since leaving my own company. Um, and I think it's a mindset that's more and more valuable and really look to. And that's again, where it's, it's so transferable that if you're, you know, an awesome growth minded person, you can move from fashion apparel to real estate, to beauty, to whatever it is. It's really a lot more about the, the skills and know-how of creating and managing and directing growth versus just being really good at one specific vertical like social media. Right. I think this ties back nicely to what you said in the beginning about following your curiosity. <clears throat> I think if you go more general with what it is that you bring to the table as an employee, as a teammate, then you're able to bounce around to various playgrounds, you know, with the same skill set. Like being somebody good at growth is something that every company needs at some point. And the entrepreneur thing is so important to point out because I think we're in an age right now that really glorifies entrepreneurship and being one, I don't recommend it to anybody ever. <laughs> I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And, and yeah, there's obvious benefits, otherwise nobody would do it. But for the most part, I always say like, only be an entrepreneur, only start your own thing if you can't not do it. If there's yeah. nothing else that you think you could do and be happy, then fine, but not a moment sooner. But so this entrepreneurship opportunity, by embracing your entrepreneurial tendencies and bringing them to the team you're on, to the company you work for, you become an invaluable member of the company because like you said, you bring that growth mindset, you hustle, you make things happen quickly, you iterate, you get in there, you disrupt, you buzzword, 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 <laughs> but like that's how it works. And that's something that's so valuable for most companies. So if you're one of those people that just can't wait to have your own thing, I would implore you to pause for a minute and see how you can bring that passion and that drive and that intensity to create and grow to wherever it is that you currently are and really hone those skills on somebody else's dime. Because entrepreneurship is a real quick way to make you go broke too for a long time. <laughs> so it's certainly not yeah. something you do for the millions of dollars um, that you think are going to come quickly. So that's yeah, fine. I think that's absolutely true. And I think that's been maybe the, this, one single thing that I have done really well, I think there's people who have a better aesthetic than I do, who have more tapped into trends, who certainly have more experience in influencer marketing and whatever it is. Um, but I have really focused on and enjoyed seeing those little pockets of growth and then figuring out, okay, how do we go after it? And that's something that, you know, executives, they, they so need, mm people who can do that with them and for them. And it's a very, it's, it feels like a very, you know, kind of under um, a very rare quality. Um, 
so I think that, yeah, absolutely. It's taking an entrepreneur mindset and bringing that into um, a company setting. It positions you as someone who can help pave that way forward for them. And I think it also positions you as someone who's um, an asset and not a function. So if you're a growth person, then they can take you from, say, the media side and put you into the consumer brand side, or they can take you from, you know, one geography and put you to the other. I think it, that flexibility um, in terms of the value that you bring and how they can use you um, is something that is so great for companies that are looking to evolve because it looks so different from day to day. And with those entrepreneurial type of opportunities, they can be more risky. Mm. It's a new area that the company is trying to carve out. They might discover that it's not right for them. They might need to pivot. They might be stepping away from it completely. Um, but being a growth minded person, being someone who takes ownership of whatever it is that you're doing with, whether it's an itty bitty project, whether it's a, you know an event or a press release or um, a new business, showing that you take ownership, that you will work with them to come up with the right goals, and that you will be absolutely committed to achieving those goals, um, I think makes you someone that's that's so valuable as companies look to navigate this really changing landscape. I loved what you said, being an asset, not a function. That's so true, and that's <clears throat> that's a piece that I think is becoming more and more of a reality for a lot of employees now because there are so many types of jobs that we all do every day, right? Like there's very few people that are super specialists, right? In one particular thing. And so if you embrace that and you find, you know, what combination of things are you particularly better at than other people, that becomes who you are. And then you're not, you know, you're not just a marketing professional, you're a growth expert. You know, I'm a collaboration consultant because everything I do, I attach a collaborative lens to it. And that's yeah. transferable across every single industry. So I think that's a really great thing for people to leave with today is, you know, what is that thing for you? What is that, that asset that you are versus the function and the role that you specifically play? And then how can you continuously lean into that and grow that and really hunker down and become somewhat of an expert in something that isn't super focused, but is valuable to most organizations, there you go. Then you never really have to worry about starting over in your career ever yeah. again, which nobody wants. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this was fantastic, Melanie. I feel like I learned so much about you today. <laughs> <laughs> I it was now. so fun. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experiences and I'm excited to keep watching you. What are you most excited about in your particular career right now? Oh my gosh, I'm excited about so much. We awesome. are in the process of launching new brands. We have two fashion brands currently and we're moving into Beauty Next. Um, we have about three brands that we're incubating and getting ready to launch. Uh, and that's awesome and exciting. And so have been the changes that each member on the team has has made to help ready for this new stage as a business. It's been incredible to see people step up and take on new things, raise their hand to be involved in areas that, you know, I, I had, would never have thought of. Um, so it's that great mix of the right opportunity, huge potential for growth and just feeling so rewarding um, in terms of the people that I get to do it with. That sounds like a fantastic situation. It's pretty good. That's awesome. Well, I'm so happy for you. 
Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us today. And yeah, we'll catch you next time, guys. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye.